From Edge Radio 99.3 FM, this is an edit of The Dice Men Cometh, the podcast. The Dice Men Cometh! Good evening, everybody. This is indeed The Dice Men Cometh on episode 278 on this, the 26th of August, September, I forget. September. September. Oh, it just flies by. The year it? is zipping by, that's for sure. Yes, indeed. And this is your number one Australian, nay, Southern Hemisphere podcast about all things board gaming, tabletop gaming, role playing, especially, remember that one for this evening, mm. and things of that nature. I am joined, as I am always, by my colleague, Mr. Mark. Leon, how are you? I am very well. I've been working my little socks off of late, and uh, Mr. Garth is not here because he's off trying to win another thousands of dollars cruise yes. as he did last year and Winding and dining and it is nice to be back in the studio none of us were here last week because our uh, life got involved that's right uh, so i put my my little editing hat on and put out a little not necessarily a best of but a but a walk down memory lane of the dice men a uh, bit of a retrospective of the things we've done in previous times but it's nice to be back live in the studio for once well it reminded me of how far we've come from that Particularly for me, that very first episode, episode number one, where Trent and I were here sort of yeah. making it up as you go along pretty much. Yeah. Um, and as I said at the end of um, last week's episode, what I put up, that you said at one point when Trent was made his official leave, which was about episode 80 or so, yes. you said, I can't believe we've fit 80 episodes <laughs> worth of content right. in. 200 episodes later, yep. and uh, and here we are indeed. So, Marky Boy, what are we going to have a chat about this evening? Well, there's still so much to talk about in this hobby of ours. And one of the things we don't touch on nearly as often as we would like to, or we probably should, mm. is, as you mentioned earlier, role-playing. Indeed. Now, you have been doing a lot of the playing of roles lately. I have been certainly doing that. I've got many different hats, not just my podcast and editing hats. I've got other ones as well. That's right. And so you have got some role-playing paraphernalia, let's say, to talk about. Uh-huh. A couple of things. Um, let's not spoil that. And then... We haven't had a Kickstarter update for a while, and no. my word, there are a lot of Kickstarters at the moment. Yes. A lot of these starting to kick. Yes. So we'll have that, and I reckon if we fit all that in by the end of the show, it'll be a good thing. I'd be impressed because we very rarely do it. But anyway, one of the things that was mentioned in our little retrospective episode is when Trent left, he said, I would like you to carry on the tradition <laughs> yes, of playing a heavy metal song as the first track every week, And to which you said, nah. and then I come along a few episodes later and it's like, I will carry on that tradition, and then I got very lazy very quickly. <laughs> but not tonight, Trenty boy, this one is for you. Hello, I'm Colby Dowk, studio manager at Plat Hat Games, and you're listening to The Dice Men Cometh. Edge Radio 99.3 FM with The Dice Men Cometh. And there you go, Trenty Boy, that was for you. That was Rob Zombie with Lucifer Rising. A rather apt song because what I'm about to talk about turned an entire generation towards Satanism, <gasps> which is... Absolutely not true, <laughs> but people in the 80s were bored and they needed something to cling to, so accusing children of doing evil things in their basement, which, you know, sometimes they probably were. You know they called it the satanic panic. Yeah. Crazy, eh? Yeah, how things have changed in a sort of not-at-all kind of way. Imagine if they'd had the internet back then to be able to do that. Man, maybe uh, there would have been a panic then. Yeah, it is quite insane. So, what I'm going to talk about this week. I have dipped my toes into the world of Dungeons & Dragons over the last couple of years, our listeners would know. I've got to the point where I'm playing in several games and I'm now DMing some of my own games. What? Yes, that's right. I am being a dungeon master, Goodness as it me. were. So, what I'm going to talk about specifically is the starter sets for Dungeons and Dragons. So you're first getting into the hobby. Normally, the way you normally first play, I would say these days, is a friend says, I've been playing it for a while, jump into my game, mm-hmm. I'll kind of show you how it's done. Yeah. But if you're with a group that want to kind of get started from the ground up by yourselves, these starter sets are a way to do it. And they've been around for a long time. So D&D itself was first published in 1974, mm-hmm. which is, I mean... That's not even a time as far as I'm concerned. Because <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a very, very long time ago. It was a while back, yep. Yeah, I, I don't quite remember seeing that starter set, but I certainly no. knew friends who had it a few years later. Yeah, well, that, well, no, that was when the first release of D&D was. The first starter set oh, yeah, the red, was three the red years dots. later. Ah, I'm glad you mentioned it, Mark. The first starter set three years later 
was the blue box. Oh. People don't realise that yeah. because six years later, in yeah. 1983, All right. the behemoth, if you say to people, give us an image of Dungeons & Dragons, mm-hmm. they will show you this image, which is the red box, yes. which is 1983. That's their starter set. Yep. So it's kind of the calling card for D&D, this red box. Yep. And they use that red box for, for various different starter sets over the years for a very, very long time. And especially in something like, say, Stranger Things, mm-hmm. which we'll be talking about, uh, in that show, the boys specifically have that red box. And that was the perfect timing for me because I probably was... Yeah about the same age as the kids in Strange Things. Yeah, no, that... You know, I was in high school. Yeah. Uh, one of my friends had it. That was certainly my introduction to uh, to role-playing. Yeah, not quite mine because um, I wasn't born for five years. <laughs> Shut up. But that's beside the point. Okay, so anyway, so that was the kind of famous one. Uh, then after you had your D&D rise in the 80s, then you kind of you fall a bit in the 90s mm-hmm. and then a kind of obscurity until it came absolutely roaring back in 2014, which the starter set that I have right here in the studio with me. Hang on, you, you're leaving a bit out. Right. I got a parking ticket in Sydney Yeah. in... Uh, which street was it? Martin Place, because it's the same one as the mall. Uh-huh. Because I was racing to go to... I think it was actually, believe it or not, Paradise Games there. Right. And I was trying to buy the starter set for... I. Th- it must have been... About 2000, so I kept thinking, it I been, wasn't sure if it was advanced or no, maybe it the been new third edition. Three or four in, yeah, 2000 or so. I would have been three, I think. And I got a yeah. $50 parking ticket because I parked my car at a five-minute metre uh, and it took me a long time to get the thing. Well, sadly, that information wasn't on the Wikipedia page <laughs> when I was doing my research, so it, I wonder why. it didn't come up. So anyway, so in July 15th, 2014, released one month before what would go on to be the biggest-selling Dungeons & Dragons book in history, the Player's Manual Mm -hmm. for 5th edition was released, uh, was the starter set. Now, in that starter set, it was very, very bare-bones. It came with five pre-made character sheets, which you would use, all starting at level one, and it came with a small book of 30-odd rules, which is the basic rules for 5th edition. Uh, All the other more advanced rules already would have been online for stuff for people to look at a set of dice, and a mini-adventure. And that mini-adventure was The Lost Minds of Fandelva, Mm. which is a a small game that would take a group of people roughly between four to six sessions to complete. Okay. So in real terms, that's about 20 to 30 hours because D&D takes a while, people. Mm -hmm. So uh, this one, even though it is a small adventure, it is quite heavily regarded by a lot of people. They say they're very big fans of this small adventure, even though there has been... Over, a, I think, nearly a dozen now big campaign books that have come out that are 300-odd yes. page epics that you could spend years playing one of these books with a group of friends. And I, th- sorry to interrupt, but that's isn't fine. there one that's either just dropped or just about to drop? Is ah, that- there is certainly in. Um, I will get to that oh, okay. well, very, very I soon. I won't jump in. So that was your starter set, and that was your starter set uh, for five-odd years. That was there. You had your other books. You had your campaign books, like I said. There's one called The Yawning Portal, which had smaller uh, campaigns in it that you could play over a session or two, but that was that was your lot until this year, uh, until this year, because in May and June of this year we got two new starter sets. Ooh. Because even though it you know it took this long, D and D now is as big as it's ever been. We Why? thought I say bigger exactly. So now we're going to have two new starter sets to kind of wet the whistle of everybody out there. So mm-hmm. the one released in May, which I'm going to talk about mainly because I've actually ran it, is one based off Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Now, when I say that to people, they think, you say Stranger Things D&D, they go, oh, okay, so we're taking on the role of the kids or a group like the kids and you're kind of, you're going around a town in the 80s and you're going to the mall and stuff like that. No, 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 no. What this starter set actually is, is a small adventure because in the TV show Stranger Things, the group of kids do play Dungeons and Dragons. They do. And they have the a sto- demigorgon. Yes, they have a story crafted by one of them, uh, who uh, Will. Will the Wise. Will the Wise, indeed. He crafts this story. So what you're doing is you're actually playing the D&D campaign that he created in the show. And as you mentioned, the Demogorgon, the thing that they go up against in the first series of the show, they actually come as little minis in this starter set. You get two of them that you can use in the little campaign. So, But unlike the campaign from the first starter set, which takes four or five sessions, this one in the Stranger Things one only takes... 
Well, you probably stretched it out to probably two sessions, but when I played it with my group of friends, uh, we did it in one day. But none of these people had ever played D&D before. Wow. I got five friends of the show, uh, Bo, who we've talked about a few times, old friends of mine, Chris and Peter, and uh, newer friends of ours, uh, Jamie and Marty. Marty, the man who won the Kanga Award last year mm-hmm. for Best Board Gaming Art. because Martin, he, Marty J. Abel, the yes. board game illustrator and drawer of amazing pictures. Yes, who has become a close friend of ours. And yes, he won because he is the, uh, the illustrator for Crystal Clans, which has amazing art, hence why he won the award. So I got them around, those five people. None of them had ever played a role-playing game before, other than on, like, say, a computer. Yep. Not played the physical version. And I thought, right, we're going to take them through it. So I DM'd the session with the help of my wife. She actually helped do bibs and bobs as well. Assistant DMs. Assistant DM. We're, we're starting a thing. <laughs> Couples DMing. Uh, so I did the main bulk of it, and she did a few things here and there because she'd never done it before. Yep. So, uh, and I am definitely the show pony of the couple. That's that's for sure. <laughs> yes, she's she's the face. Yes. I'm the I'm the show pony. <laughs> and yeah, so we got together, gave them the character sheets. They'd already had them before. I gave them several different links to. This is the starter rules. Try and read them. I gave them several links to some YouTube videos. Mainly they were like D&D for dummy type things. And um, the High Rollers, which I've talked about on the show before, yes. that I'm a huge fan of, some of their shows, to give them a base idea of what we're going to be doing. So I won't spoil the actual campaign itself for anybody that wants to play it, but I will have to mention some small things. But basically, yes, the, the actual campaign itself is called The Hunt for the Thessal Hydra. Mm. Mm, that is what it is. So this group of adventurers... They get called together and, yeah, essentially what it says on the tin. They get told by a king, there's this big nasty Thessal Hydra in the kingdom causing trouble. Can you sort it out? And sort it out, they went off to do. And as I said, you can normally do this in between one or two sessions. We knocked it off in the day. Now, as the actual module itself, for my review of it, it is good, especially for newer people. It's pretty bare bones. Like, the people, the things that they're fighting are relatively basic. Some of the encounters could possibly get a bit samey. Like, there's a monster you come across, the troglodytes, which mm-hmm. are kind of like your generic minions that they fight. There are quite a few battles with them in the book, so I must say that I customise it, as any good DM will do when you're preparing a session or even during the session, yep. customising it to the way that people are playing, the way the feel of the table and things are going. I changed a few random encounters to be more interesting ones because okay. you want them to learn the basics and they did after one or two little skirmishes but then after that you want them to do kind of interesting things. Well I guess that potentially is one reason why they might do it that way do you think is that for a group oh, yes. who has never done anything like this before yep. obviously repetition helps you learn things yep. and if every combat got uh, every subsequent combat got complicated yep you might get a bit confused. So it sort of makes sense, but you're right. Obviously, the great DMs... Yeah. Sounds like you're heading towards being one. Um, maybe um, one day. ...can change it up. Yeah. So obviously, at the end of this, you're going towards fighting a giant dragon. So that's why, at the end of this campaign, they might say, all we did was fight these kind of zombie and skeleton type things, which is a bit kind of dull. But we at least we fought a big, massive dragon yeah. at the end. And, you know, because of the show, Connection to Stranger Things, to do with the Underdark... Maybe that's connected in the way, or the upside down, as they call it yes. in the show. Maybe that's in there as well. I won't say any more or spoil it. So when it starts out, you are in a village and you're talking to NPCs because D&D these days is very much two... It's a game of two halves. You've got your actual role-playing and you're talking to people and your story and all that fun stuff, and yep. then your combat and your fighting and whatnot. You start off with mostly your talking and then you lead to the combat. Then after that... It is relatively combat-heavy as you go through the dungeon itself and explore the dungeon, funnily yep. enough. But uh, I chucked in a few other NPCs just to, to kind of spice things up. Like, at one point, I thought it'd be fun for... Uh, when the group was on their way through a forest, they saved a fairy uh, from a group of troglodytes, and then I rewarded the table in the real world by giving them a group, a bunch of fairy bread <laughs> that I had made previously the day before. Nice. Mainly because I think sometime during that week I was on a night shift and someone mentioned fairy bread and I went, oh, <laughs> oh, it's been a while. Yeah. And then I thought, ooh, fairy, Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, that's happening. <laughs> well, I guess the other thing, as you said, like it, the reason for so many fights is role-playing is about telling a story, but if you haven't done it before... No. It's really hard to get in the skin of that character mm. and not think, 
let's say I'm Bo. Yeah. What would Bo do? Yeah. What choice would Bo make to win this fight or to do something? You're trying to be the character and say, well, what would Fairy Twinkerbell, what would she do in this situation? And I'm going to do what she might do, even though that might get me killed or get me in trouble or something like that. You want to play the role, which is obviously what it's all about. Yeah, I know. It is a very, very difficult line to, to kind of draw. Mm. In the campaign that I'm playing the most at the moment, where I'm the character Luther, who is a big Goliath paladin, who's your big tank kind of meat shield guy, mm. his intelligence is very low. Now, I'm not the smartest person in the world, <laughs> but I'm also not the dumbest. But the thing mm. is, because of the way I've been... I've gone through my life uh, work-wise and the yep. training I've had. I've had a lot of training to be a leader, to being a team leader. Yes. So I find it very difficult to turn that bit yes. of my brain off. And I must admit, I don't think I do that good a job of doing that because many mm -hmm. times we'll be in a situation where the intelligent character that has an intelligence of six, Luther, is leading the conversation yep. for a party when he really bloody shouldn't be. Well, I mean, that's like me, I... Take charge of everything I do because that's just me. No, you know, and that's <laughs> that's the reason why in our recent role playing with our friend Aiden, yep. and Oren and Garth, I chose to be a mute character because yeah. I'm trying to really dial back Mark mm. and play up my character. Yeah. But sometimes it's very hard to do. It is very hard Even to when do. you're mute. But it is really, really fun to yeah. get into the headspace of, of somebody different. So, yeah, so the session uh, the session definitely went well. And as you said, some people picked it up more than others when it comes to, say, the combat or during, like, the role-playing. Like, Marty himself put on an accent from straight away because he was a dwarven <laughs> bard. He really got involved in it. He actually brought a little ocarina that he was playing, oh, wow. which was which was magical. And, yeah, and overall, everyone seemed to, to have an absolute blast. Yeah. Was and, Marty... Was Marty sketching while he was sitting there what he his would, character would look like? Absolutely. Yeah. He was sketching away like a storm, awesome. as he tends to do. Uh, so, yeah, so it all went relatively well. But uh, you've got to remember that with a new group, especially we're talking five people that have never played before. Mm -hmm. And this is my, like, third session ever DMing, so I'm not exactly an expert myself. But you've got to kind of remember the key rule, and it's the key rule that we always had with when we held our werewolf nights yeah. and we were the moderators. That at the end of the day, the DM or the moderator, whatever you want to call them, they are... They are the god of this world. Yeah. And you, they want to send you down a specific path. You don't want to railroad them so they go exactly. You want to kind of throw a few curveballs here and there. But for a one-shot session, yes. you don't want to go, here's a giant world map where you want to go. Yeah. That's not going to work. You do kind of have to go, right, no, this is where you're going. So when the party gets a bit... A bit testy from time to time. You might have to kind of quite literally funnel them down the right path. Yeah, and you I mean you want them to have the feeling of choice. Yeah. While at the same time, yeah. as you said, they're absolutely being railroaded because you need yeah. you need that to keep things simple. I mean, we know my experience with Trent and Call of Cthulhu. Trent yeah. will you know spend hours and hours and hours preparing, but because it is a big open world, almost. Yeah. It will always happen that will go off task. Yep. And one of the skills that a, a DM or a GM has to develop is how to get people back on task without being obvious about it. Yeah, and it also comes down to a, like a thing of respect as well. You've got to respect the fact that the amount of prep that a DM does mm -hmm. is quite comparable. Like I'm running another session on Saturday with one of my groups of friends and I haven't looked at my notes for that session that I'm running in a while. So my day tomorrow okay. is pretty much wake up, do some chores and then come say three, four in the afternoon. That's me on my laptop for the rest of the night yeah. so I can prepare for the next day. So it's a very important thing that you realise how much effort they've put into to giving you the best experience but it's a lot of, a lot of prep. Not that people should get scared that, oh, I have to prep for hours and hours and hours. It kind of just depends on your group and just depends on how good you are with the improv and stuff. Yes. But you will get there eventually. So overall, I'd say that it's definitely good. And the fact that it is only like one or two sessions, it is perfect little starter box. And the okay. thing about these starter boxes, even though Dungeons & Dragons is, it's a big brand name now. You can put this that logo on anything and yes. sell it. These starter sets are not expensive. They never have been. Like, the one I just picked up that I'm going to talk about in a minute, I picked up for, I think, $30. Okay. All these starter sets, the ones I have in front of me, the older one, the Stranger Thing ones, 30 or $40. And when you're talking about a group of five or six people playing a game for between, say, six and 30 hours... What's 30 bucks? That's right. I can't go to the movies by myself without, say, getting some snacks yep. for under $30. Mm -hmm. So the amount of value for money is, is through the roof. So now, um, 
obviously this is not a visual medium we're on, but no. you've got two boxes here. Yes. So the first box you've opened. Yes. What's that one say on the front? This one is the one that has just come out the other day. Right. So not that long ago as well. So this one, I, I think it actually came out in July or something in the States, yep. but it only just hit the shores here. Uh, and and that, obviously when we, when we put the podcast up... Yeah. There'll be photos there, so you'll be able to see these. Yes, things. we're actually doing an unboxing in the studio right now. <laughs> a radio on, unboxing. On this audio medium. <laughs> uh, yeah, so what I've got is the new one is the Essentials Kit. So this is your basic D&D. It's not Stranger Things themed in any which way. Yep. This is your basic D&D. However, much like that starter set that came out a few years ago, it's got your, your generic type stuff. But this one has got some extra bibs and bobs in it that is absolutely amazing, Ooh. and I can't believe that it took them so... Now that I've seen it, I'm like, how has every starter yep. set not had this? So I'm going to show them to Mark, reveal them one at a time. There's mm -hmm. these different sheets in here. So first I'm going to get out. We've got the adventure itself. We've got the essential rules, yep. which is a nice little rule book. It's got a nice spine to it. It's about 60-odd pages long, giving you the basic idea of what you need. So the, the, the essentials rule book, mm -hmm. is that sort of like your... Very streamlined, streamlined version of the player's guide. That is exactly what it and is. And then in your other book, yep, which is the adventure, yep, which is the campaign book. So that has stuff for your DM. So it has, so it's like a mini DM's guide, and then the adventure itself. Is and it? the rule book also has DM stuff as okay, well. So, cool. um, but even still, the DM's guide it is it is important for when things come up. Yeah. But as long as you said you realise that you're the god of this world and you do understand the basic rules mm -hmm. and you can kind of fiddle with them however you please. Yes. Like my, I have a DM, the hard copy of the DM's handbook. I don't really use it that often. Okay. Until things come up that I'm like, I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. About Someone that. says, oh, I'm, I'm able to do this. And you're like, yep. yeah, I think you are. Let's consult a table or yeah. something. So the stuff I've just mentioned, they are in the essentials kit. They have been in, a star in starter kits for, you know, time in memoriam. Mm -hmm. But the new things that are in here are thus. There's these cards here. The first sheet I'm going to show you is just a simple sheet of cards that you will you can, uh, what's it called? You can tear them tear, up. Tear apart, and there's nine <laughs> cards in the sheet. And these are your initiative cards. Ah. So anyone that's played any RPG knows that when you have battles and stuff, there's initiative as yep. in who goes first. It's very important. Normally, you just write down kind of, okay, who rolled what on your initiative, you're going this. this in this case, you can actually give people a physical card to oh, tell nice. them their order in battle. It's something so small, yes. so simple. But here it is. The actual ones that I use, we have um, like this little wooden tower that a friend of mine made and we put clothes pegs on okay, it yeah. with people's names on it. Yeah. And then you move them around or you can just go who's next who and go That's from there. That's clever. Yeah. We've got another sheet of nine cards here and these have very nice art on them mm -hmm. of different NPC characters. Ah, Non-player characters. And then on the back, it tells you a little something about that character, their personality, what they might, information they might be able to okay. tell you, and things like that. Again, these are brilliant little aids to show you come up to somebody in the market, you explain them and go, they look like this. Yeah, exactly. And as you said, you know, instead of saying, okay, you're in a market, you walk up, there's a girl with blonde, curly hair. She's got green eyes. She's probably about 190 centimetres. She's very tall, yeah. but very small feet. You know, all that time you spend maybe describing physical features, which isn't that fun. No. You can say, there's a gorgeous young girl or a very tall young man or there's a small elf in the corner. Yep. This is what he looks like because... Yep. Your character is seeing them, and then you get to see them as well. That's very clever. And we've got here, we've got four sheets of magical items. Ooh. So for when you actually have magical items in the game, instead of telling somebody you'd write it down, you can just give it to them straight nice. up. Then the other sheets we have here whoop, is we have any time in combat where something happens where you have an effect put against you, say you are blinded, you yeah. are grappled, you are charmed, you can hand this card to somebody. It has a cool little picture on the front to remind them, oh, you're grappled. Yeah. And on the back of it, it shows what that means. Oh, that is clever. They're the, like the states or the conditions. Yeah, so these things that I'm talking to you about right now, like these condition ones, yep. I will be using these in my game on Saturday. Yeah. I can guarantee. The initiative one, I've got something better custom made for myself, but most people wouldn't. The NPCs aren't anything to do with my campaign. I might steal one, though. Yeah. Who the hell knows? And finally, we've got a section of nine cards here, which was the thing that impressed me the most when I first got it. These are quests... But what they are is they're little side quests oh. and they're little cards. And I'm actually going to read one out for you. So a little bit of a spoiler, but this is the first one I'm going to read out, which is the Dwarven 
uh, uh, the Dwarven Quest. So a Dwarven prospector found ancient Dwarven ruins in the mountains southwest of here and have begun an archaeological dig for the treasure and the relics. They need to be warned that a white dragon has moved into the area. Take this warning to them and then return to the town master in the city that you're in to collect 50 gold. So that's just a simple thing that they could be in the city at the start of this campaign. Mm -hmm. This comes up. Like, they could see this on a message board. You then slide the card over to the party. They don't have to follow it at all. Again, these are side quests. Like any good video game, something like, say, The Witcher 3, which has the best side quests in video game yes. history, these are things you can do if you want or not. But just having this in front of the characters and they just kind of go, oh, what do we want to do now if they're a bit of a loss? Oh, we've got that little quest. We've literally got the card written in yes. front of us, especially if it's four or five sessions down the mm -hmm. road, they've forgotten it, but you've got that physical card, you're going to remember Because that, that's the thing I found about The Witcher, is like, I'm where am I on the map that I happen to find myself? There must be some quests about here, and of course, always there would be yes. two or three quests that, oh, okay, which one am I closer to, or which yeah. one's easier to get to? You don't have that in a role-playing game. You've got to remember mm. stuff. Yes, and you have to take notes. Like, there are some people, like my, my wife and I are the two polar opposites when it comes to D&D. She is the note taker. She yeah. takes notes on absolutely everything. Got journals and journals of them. I, on the other hand, I'm in the moment. I just don't write yeah. anything down. Yeah. I mean, my memory is shocking, so I absolutely should, but I just do not yeah. do it. I just can't. It just takes me out of it. I, I'm the same in my in our Call of Cthulhu game. Garth is very good with the notes. Yep. And I'm like you. I want to be in the moment, and I don't want to be head down, pencil going away. Yep. Finally, we've got here, we've got a double-sided map. So one of them is the world map that this campaign is, this little mm. campaign is set, and the other one is the town where you'll mainly be going to with a bunch of key uh, buildings and stuff on there, the townsfolk. Again, very, very cool. And now, can I ask... Yes. Um, just for my ignorance. So with 5th edition... Yes. Are they still using the same setting? Because I can see that says the Sword Coast. Yes. Which obviously is... Yep. Um, I can't... Is it Tamriel, the world? I, to be honest, I'm a little... When I know the words, when I hear yep, them, but yep. I'm not 100% sure. But, yeah, all the things like your Tamriel, your Baldur's Gate, yeah. which is the most recent campaign yes. book, uh, that's, they, are, they are still in that kind of same yeah, land okay. and world. But they are expanding it every other week yep. by the sound of it. Okay. And then the final thing in here is actually a small cardboard DM screen. Oh, nice. Now, these have been for sale for forever and a day, and a lot of people will use the D&D the &D one. But the fact that a starter set, and again, this cost me 30 quid, yes. comes with this cardboard D&D screen. So you can hide behind it all your information, as well as it's got heaps of stuff written on it, as yeah. all DM screens do, information you're going to need to know at the fly. So and then I guess the other thing about doing that is that means you don't have to have a separate DM's guide, as yep. well as your adventure, as well as your quick start rules. Yep. So... That's quite clever. Yeah, so I haven't don't know much about the campaign in this one, although I do know it is called... It's something to do with Ice and Dragon. Dragon of Ice Spire Keep. Yeah. And I don't believe it is just a one-shot, but I don't think it's far off it. So okay. it might be a little bit longer than the Stranger Thing ones, but it's not like the, the, the Lost Minds one from the first starter set, which takes five or six sessions. It's kind of in between. Okay. So my final kind of thoughts on it yep. is that... And this is kind of boring, silly thing to say. They're all brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> they're all brilliant in their own ways. If you can get the original starter set that has that the the Lost Minds, if you can get that as say just the PDF of just the campaign, mm -hmm. that's all you really need. You don't need the actual physical box of that. Yes, and even the the Stranger Things one. It does come with a nice Demogorgon minis. Now the other box you've got there though, you've got some stuff in there because what I was going to suggest. Yes, we haven't talked this through. Is yes. Let's throw to a song. Right. Let's come back and talk a bit more about the Stranger Things stuff because I think people will be really interested in that. It is very topical. Um, I, I don't want to wind you up because I, I'm finding this interesting and well, I'm sure our listeners are too. I hate to cut you off, Mark, yes. but I'm pretty much done. <laughs> and I haven't got my Stranger Things box with me because oh, well, all that is is the, the book. book. All oh, that is is okay. the campaign book and the little miniature which I didn't so bring with the, me. what's the second box then? The first one is the original starter set that I brought oh, in okay. and the other one is the new Essentials one. So like I said, if you can get the PDF of the Lost Minds campaign, if you can get the PDF of the Thessal Hydra campaign, yes. if you want the Demogorgon minis, you get that as well. Yeah. And then this new Essentials kit, is the Essentials kit, it's aptly named. This is the essential Okay. Kit. I think everybody should buy this. I've got a friend of mine, uh, John, who's our main DM. Yeah. He's buying this. He's been a DM for 30-odd years. He's got all the upgraded versions of all the stuff that's in here. Yes. He's still buying this yeah. because 
it's brilliant. So, yes, that is my review of all of it. Buy okay. it all. <laughs> I, um, because I'm so with it. Yes. I actually, when it came out, I bought the fourth edition starter set because yeah. that's when I was thinking. I think I had that at one point as well and yeah, never touched it. I had played so much when I got back into D&D was 3.5. yeah. Um, before I started going to Hogs, I really got into uh, 3.5. And then 4 came out and I was very excited. And, of course, 4 just... The 4th edition just pretty much bombed. Mm. And that's when Pathfinder ran away with their effectively 3.5.1. Yes. yes. They took over the mantle of the role-playing game mm-hmm. until 5th edition came out yes. and then... Um, it's very much swung back the other way. Back by D and D, absolutely. Yeah, so that is my review. D and D is great. All these boxes are good. Buy them. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Yep. Well, um, now I've queued up this track. We will play this, and we'll come back and talk Kickstarter. Good. Hi, my name's Joe. The Dice Man cometh. They're so much fun, and occasionally sober. Edge Radio 99.3 FM with the Dice Men Cometh. That was Eyes Set to Kill with the song Two Letter Sins. We just played two good songs back to back on the show. Go. That hasn't been done in a dog's <laughs> age as, as far well, as I'm concerned. See what happens when Garth goes away? Yeah, and, and I bring him my USB because I can be bothered. There you go. Now, I thought I'd just mention, Leon, we talked about Stranger Things. We talked about role playing. Now, yes. obviously, you can role play what the Stranger Th- Things kids were role playing. Uh huh. But if you want to role-play being the Stranger Things kids, then people may or may not have heard of um, a big Kickstarter success. When was this? It was... Was it a year or so ago? December 2016, believe it oh, or not. Oh, right. Which uh, Stranger Things would have... Yeah, after the first season. Right. Was, was such a massive... Wow, hit. that's three years ago. There that, you go. That's been, that show's been around for three years. My one, God, time's One season like. a year. Ugh. There you go. So, of course, it was called Tales from the Loop. Yep. Role-playing in the 80s that never was. That campaign raised over half a million Australian dollars, over 5,500 backers, and Mm. basically you play kids in the 80s who go and have adventures, sort of like the Stranger Things, sort of like what happens in E.T. It's that sort of fun setting. I think even they bought out another one maybe 12 months or 18 months later that I can't remember the name of it but it was sort of like a similar thing but this time set in the 90s. Ah. Yeah. So basically exactly the same except with uh, new metal instead of electronica. It would have had some, you know, some really bright lights and some Nirvana and things like that. Yeah. So that's good. I like the sound of that. Yeah. All right. Now, you know what time it is? I think you're going to tell me. Kickstarts again. And right. for copyright reasons, we stopped playing it here. <laughs> oh, no. I've, see, no? I've, see what I've done? Oh, right. I've actually got it where it cuts out. Oh, you fades out and oh. then cuts out after about 10 seconds. And I don't even need to worry about it anymore. And you know what else? God forbid, we're actually almost getting professional here. If you, if you don't like that one, yeah. you can always play this version. Oh, really? The dubstep. The dubstep version. Wow, we're, we're, we're giving everyone a, a visual, not a visual, an audio treat yeah, this yeah, evening. We've an, got a... an audio unboxing and some interesting songs. <laughs> okay, stop moving in the studio, Mark. We've, we've got work to well, do. Look, the good thing is, see yeah. on? Yeah. It plays itself out. It's amazing. I'm not even touching any buttons. It's almost like we're semi professional. <laughs> there we go. I spent a bit of time because the last time I did this session, Garth went. Oh, are you going to play your sting? And I was like, oh, I haven't got it ready. Hang on, hang on, hang on. And yeah. then I had to find, you know, the space 40 seconds after the start of the track that I'd marked and hmm. it didn't happen. So never again. Oh, I'm prepared. I'm also prepared to talk about Australian Kickstarters. Now, lovely. there's not many of them this time, hmm. but there's one in particular I'm going to mention. It's called Low Fantasy Gaming and it's their companion expanded options for low fantasy gaming role-playing by Pick. Pocket Press from Sydney. Okay. Now, what is Low Fantasy Gaming or... I was going to say LFG, but I, that <laughs> abbreviation's already taken. Yeah, we've got another we LFG that we bring up quite a bit that's more. That's right. Um, so, what's Low Fantasy Gaming? It just sounds like something that's not real fun, really. No. But they say it's less magic. Okay. More grit. Ooh. 
Now, it sounds painful, particularly if you're wearing a chainmail bikini. Yeah. Um, but back in January of this year, uh, Pickpocket Press raised over $30,000 to bring low fantasy gaming to life where they launched their deluxe edition book. Now, this had been available in PDF-only versions before outside of Kickstarter, had a little bit of a following, but they took it to Kickstarter, got a lot more of a following, as I said, raising over $30,000. Um, this new companion book... Um, it includes more materials, more tools, optional rules for lots of different things. So you've got 100 new monsters, you've got 50 minor charms, you've got 40 or more major magical items, you've got a, individual illustrations, you've got concise histories, um, you've got the, lo, the Midlands Low Magic Sandbox setting, which you can use for in other worlds. This is um, not like a lot of what you see on Kickstarter, which is rules that fit... Fifth edition. Uh-huh. This is a totally new system. Right. Um, it's a D20 system, my understanding. Um, this expansion book has a perilous magic table. It has a downtime expansion where your adventures are just, your adventurers are just kicking back between adventures. It's got a whole bunch of ideas as to what they might do in their downtime. Interesting. I do it, like that. It, sound like, it does sound like a bit of fun. Now, it's 13 days to go. They set a very modest target of $1,500, which is great. You can do that if you're doing PDFs and soft and hard covers. Or just um, if you're a sensible person that's, you know, not a multi-million dollar company. Yes. Well, they've already raised over $13,000, so that's great. It's funded. Good luck. And as I said, you can get uh, in PDF, you can get soft cover, you can get hard cover. Obviously, what is some of the big money buys? Well, it buys the art. Yeah. And sometimes with these things, as we... We've seen, and the listeners will imagine with your D&D, is the, the art in the books really makes it. Yes, a lot of it is in your imagination, but these beautiful pictures help you to imagine what the world might look like. Hmm, so I, that one's definitely worth checking out. I tell you what, I might, I might have a solid good think about this one because okay. although I'm not moving away from D&D anytime soon or possibly ever, <laughs> I reckon I've got the brains to pilfer some of these yeah, ideas, yeah. especially that downtime stuff. Yeah, um, so that's worth a look um, by Pickpocket Breast in Sydney. And look, uh, just a very brief mention finally, Matchbreaker by Candy Burger Games. We had um, them as a sponsor for our show. We did. Now, it's going to end in a few hours live of where we are now so by yes. the time you're listening to this on a podcast they will have finished of course but i just wanted to congratulate them they've raised over thirty-two thousand dollars on their second attempt lovely so well done to bill northcott from adelaide and his support team they did a great job there so we keep the streak alive of funded kickstarters That's right at sadly not a hundred percent but very very high That's well you know we do we do okay we do our best um now let's spread our gaze wide to the rest of the world uh -huh. now I, there's no way I can cover tonight all the things on Kickstarter at the moment because there nah. are so many. Yeah. But I tried to pick the eyes out of it mm. and get some, some really... I don't know. Some of these, I think, are quite important because there's lots of different things happening now. The first one I want to mention, mm -hmm. Time of Legends Destinies. Right. This is a narrative, app-driven, RPG-like board game experience like no others. We're very RPG heavy tonight. Is that almost not the tagline for everything that gets put on Kickstarter? Look, it's, it is a campaign RPG-like, but it's not like all the rest. Yes, that's we right. promise. Well, this... Yeah, this is a bit different. <laughs> okay. um, of course. So this is a, a combination effort between Lucky Duck Games. Yep. They produced Chronicles of Crime. Indeed. One of my favourites. And the key, I guess, one of the key things in that was the, the scanning technology with the QR-type codes on the cards. Uh -huh. um, they've also just had Jetpack Joyride was a successful Kickstarter of theirs. And then Mythic Games, yep. who you might remember from the Solomon Kane Kickstarter, big mini-adventure game, mm -hmm. but also... Uh, Time of Legends, Joan of Arc. I remember Joan of Arc. That's right. So this game is set in the world of Joan of Arc, and this game claims to be the first competitive story-driven RPG-like board game. Oh, I, I, so, I slagged it off, and now I'm interested. So there's a twist, and then this also has the app take the role of the GM. So it has been described as a mashup of... Mansions of Madness with the storytelling and the app driving the game. Seventh Continent with the emergent narrative via different maps where you make the maps with cards and the detail is on the cards. And then, of course, 
Chronicles and of crime, Chronicles of Crime with its scan and play QR code technology. Wow! Now this is over six hundred percent funded after the first day. Yep. Uh, still got 20 days to go, and I said there is a lot of buzz about this. But one of the reasons I wanted to mention it, not just because I'm fascinated by it, yep. I don't know if I'm going to go in because I've got all the big Awakened Realms games that I've backed, and I don't know if I can afford this one. Yeah. But I, I'm still playing Seventh Continent now. I love Chronicles of Crime. I love Mansions of Madness. And the funny thing is I can see here that there's got some minis involved in this game. Mm -hmm. It's not a mini fest, as you would say. There's only a couple of them involved. And I thought, okay, this does sound interesting. And then I looked at the price. Now, nothing on Kickstarter these days seems to be under $200-odd because of all the components. This game, Australian, is only 117 which is which is nearly church change when you come to the Kickstarter way of board gaming these days. So that's... Yeah, what I worked out here was it's about 70 Australian for the base game and one expansion, plus the shipping. But yeah. the other thing I want to mention, and this is fascinating, is you've got to scroll right down to the bottom, yeah, but yeah. there's a special quest right. for Australian and New Zealand backers. Oh, hello. If they can get at least 250 backers combined from our two countries, oh. the shipping drops... Um, they're estimating thirty-five to forty-five for shipping for Australia. Yep. If the shipping will drop to sixteen to eighteen Australian oh dollars. Oh my god! And for New Zealand, twenty-two to thirty-five. So what have you done to me, Mark? Yeah, that's right. And. 250 isn't a lot, Leon. I tell you what, on principle alone, them offering that to Aussies, I may have to back it just for that. And th- the thing is, no other countries are getting this. This is not just a special, like, hey, because yeah. you're, you're on the Australian page, you're seeing this. It's, yeah. the, I guess the thing is they can do cheap shipping for the US, they can do shi- cheap shipping for Europe um, and some other countries, Canada, but Aussies, it's very much that, well, if we don't get many, it's really expensive, but if we get more... You know, we can do an eighth of works or something like that. Wow. So I thought that alone was quite fascinating for mm. me. Okay. Um, now, the second one, I missed the original version of this. I'm not sure how, but it was back in 2008. This was Edge of Darkness. Okay. Now, this was the card crafting game. Um, remember um, Mystic Veil? I certainly do. With I, those cards that, um, you know, you lay over the top. I remember the idea being brilliant. The game was not bad yeah. by any stretch, but the idea was brilliant. Yeah, well, this is the same designer, John D. Clare, and he's basically, if you like, created a worker placement slash adventure game yep. around that card crafting, and that is Edge of Darkness. It was a big success, and look, just like Almost every big Kickstarter these days. Yeah. What do you do just after you've delivered the base game to people? Ah, uh, we were talking about this only on the ride here. That's right. You, de- you about a month or so later, you put out a Kickstarter for a new version or an expansion, and you make all the money. That's right. And this is Edge of Darkness, Cliffs of Cold Harbor. Uh-huh. Did I mention it's AEG doing this? Oh, you have um, now, now. I think they did uh, one expansion that came with the base game. So of course now it's time for another expansion. Um, it's only got eight days to go. It's raised over $240,000. Um, their target was 73000 so they've done really well there. God, this it looks is, nice. Yeah, and it looks quite fascinating. And I always thought playing Mystic Veil, there's something in this card crafting. It's just that game wasn't it. Yeah. Whether this game is it, I don't know. Um, so $40 US plus $27 US for shipping yeah. for just the expansion to Australia. And I have seen a lot of comments online about, yeah. unlike what's happening with the one we just mentioned, yep. Aussie's obviously getting screwed over with the shipping where it's almost as much as the game. Sadly, that happens. But what are you going to do? But when you read down a bit as well, it also says they've already taken into account the effect of import tariffs yep. on goods manufactured in China and shipped back to the US. Yep. Have those tariffs actually kicked in yet? Uh, so try I guess, not to pay too much attention, I think, sadly. I think maybe part of the shipping cost is that and the fact that they are then thinking, well, if it doesn't happen, obviously they can, because the shipping is calculated later on, not as part of the Kickstarter. They can always adjust it. I guess they want the worst-case scenario. Um, Now, look, I've talked lots. Um, (laughs) I'm just wondering whether we take a break or we keep going. We've only got about 10 minutes left. I reckon we power through it, Mikey, but we've got plenty to talk about. Yeah, well, we have. Talk about another great game that needs, or does it, more expansions. Yep. 
Everdell. Yes, and this is exactly. There was the first Kickstarter, and then there was the Pearlbrook Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and now I just got Pearlbrook only quite literally, funnily enough, about a month ago. There you go. And now there's bloody more of it on Kickstarter. Well, this is this is Spirecrest yep. and yep. Belfair. So not one, but two expansions for Everdell. Now yes. you've got Belfair, which is one of those sort of modular-type expansions. It's much of a smaller kind of added-if-you-want-to kind of thing. Yeah, and so it. firstly, you can play five or six. Mm-hmm. Secondly, and this is something that we definitely talked about, yep. you don't like that big old tree because it gets in the way? Uh, yeah, but it, God, it looks cool, though. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Belfair gives you a treeless board. Ooh. It basically looks like... The tree's been cut down. It's just not there. Yeah, but you can also put as an add-on on this to buy a wooden version of that tree. <laughs> so you're damned if you do, you're damned oh, if you don't, but in a positive way, I guess. And then, um, so that's a, the modular expansion. Then Spirecrest is an additional board, a whole new area where you can travel to. That's the big one you mentioned. Yeah. How many new critter meeples are in this game? They are so gorgeous. Yeah. I have lost count of how many different little wooden animals you can be in this game. Yeah, there are, there are quite a few, and obviously they're, they're growing like any good critters do. Well, that's right. Now, this has already raised over 1.1 million Australian dollars. Yes, some of which is mine. Yes. Um, it's only got seven days left to go as we're talking now, so by the time the podcast comes out, there'll only be a few days left, so don't muck around. You can pledge for the base game, you can pledge for Pearlbrook, you can pledge for just one or two of the other expansions. Um, it's 95 Australian dollars for the two new expansions with $20 US shipping, and as I said, you can you can do combos of all the four things. Now, also, Everdell may well feature in the upcoming 2019 Kangaroo Awards, of course, because it does Possibly. have Australian involvement with Dan May. And in these expansions, he'd cre- he's credited as one of the two game and creative development leads. Yes. So he's not the game designer, but obviously he had a huge amount to do with that. And then he's also credited as art direction, graphic design and map art. Good on you, Dan. Very much so. And now, he's listening to this show, so hello, Dan. <laughs> um, he's doing an amazing job. Now, have we had enough of role-playing? Uh, we're never enough, sadly, Mark. Well, I'm glad you said that, Leon, because what have we got next? What? Root. Yes. The tabletop role-playing game. Oh, squeeze what? that. S- squeeze all the money out of that you can. <laughs> so in the board game of Root, obviously, you can play as the leaders of the various factions, uh-huh. the Woodland Alliance, the Airy, and then you've got other creatures like the Vagabonds. Well, in this role-playing game... You're a single character, and in fact, you are one of those vagabonds. Ah. But you can do whatever you like. So if you want to go and work with the Woodland Alliance or with the Airy, you can. Uh-huh. If you want to go around and steal stuff, you can. If you want to make stuff for the, for anyone and sell it, you can. You can do all those things. Now, this is based on the same system used in games like Dungeon World, Zombie World, and Apocalypse World. Yep. It's got a name, but I'm not sure what it is. The world system, possibly? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, but this is quite fascinating to me. So there's two books. There's the core rules, and then there's a book called Travellers and Outsiders. Again, you can get a PDF or a hardcover. Um, there's various combinations at various prices. They've raised over $450,000 with this. As no surprises. Yep. Still got 24 days to go, so you've got time to get on that one. Yeah. We've got a few minutes left. Um, I have mentioned the Isafarian Guard before, so that's the one where it's another big sort of world-building adventure, but they've got all the... Adventury Bits narrated uh-huh. in an app. Lovely. That one still has seven days to go and lots of new stretch goals. So check that out. Now, Leon, yep. a couple you've backed. Yes, as I do. Detective City of Angels yes. has a new expansion. Yes. Now, this, again, it is following the Seventh Continent system. Mm-hmm. That This was on Kickstarter about a year or more ago, and I almost backed it. Yep. I liked the idea of it. It looked really cool. And this is when we were in the height of your Chronicles of Crime, your detective type yeah. of... They're the game storming the world at the moment. But it looked a bit... I don't want to say cheap, but there was something about it that kind of put me off. Well, I think that's why maybe I overlooked that one as well. Exactly. But then it has just come out, so uh, backers have now re- started to receive mm-hmm. it, and there was a Dice Tower review only about a week or so before this launched, coincidentally <laughs> enough, <laughs> a surprise. of Z Garcia talking about it, and he basically said, this is my game of the year, this is amazing. Wow. And I thought... Okay, so my my fears have kind of been put down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I then went to the Kickstarter page when it launched. I watched a video, uh, more of a how to play of it. Yep. And I was like, 
Yeah, okay, I'm in now. Okay, and so you're in for Detective City of Angels. Yes. Plus Bullets Over Hollywood, yes. which was in the first Kickstarter. Plus Smoke and Mirrors, the new expansion. Uh-huh, I'm in for the whole kit and or caboodle. Well, look, it still has 12 days to go if you want to join Leon on this one. Mm. Um, it's raised over 225000 It's around $75 Australian, including shipping for just the Smoke and Mirror expansion. But again, there's all the various different combos you yeah. can back. Do you know what you're paying for the whole lot, roughly? Uh, it's around, again, the usual Kickstarter 200-odd dollar okay. mark. But win a game that has all the different cases yeah. in it. I think it's, even, it's over a dozen different cases. Fourteen. Yeah, I mean, what I can't tell you a game that I have at the moment I've played 14 times, yeah. so I will get my value out of it. And I think now they've also added, I don't know if it was part of the first one, they've added, like, narration, yeah. not for the whole case, but for the briefings. Yeah. So you can hear the briefing. It's very much that 1940s LA noir setting. Looks fascinating. Mm-hmm. I really want to play this with you when you get it. Yes, you'll be on the list, don't you, Aaron? Okay, <laughs> now, a few more minutes left. Yeah. Garth told me about this one today. I totally missed it last night in my preparation. Uh-huh. And the thing is, this campaign launched today. Yeah. It will be finished by the time you're listening to this in podcast form. Can you believe it? It is very this weird. This is the Simon or come on, yeah. time machine campaign. Yeah. It's which... a four-day campaign. It's very weird. And you can buy the Kickstarter version of... Blood Rage, uh-huh. Hate, yeah. and Zombicide Green Horde. So three quite successful games, although I know Hate maybe not so much as the others. Yeah. What are your thoughts about this, Leon, a four-day campaign? Uh, well, for a start, it's not Blood Rage. It's Rising Sun. Oh, is it? Yeah. Are you sure? I'm looking at the Kickstarter page oh, right now. Silly me. It is Rising Sun. Okay, um, sorry. I'm guessing they just for some reason had surplus of these games. Hate, I can understand. I don't think that was quite the success that they might have wanted it mm-hmm. to be, especially coming off. I think this was after Rising Sun. But Rising Sun and Green Horde were, were world beaters when yeah. it comes to They're on, like, your top 20 of all time type thing. Um, and the, the Kickstarter of Rising Sun, I have... And I ain't ever selling it. It's an absolute beauty. Yeah, so if Trent you, has it as well. So if you've ever played that game and liked the idea of it, I'd, I'd be getting on to that. But, yeah, there's, it's an interesting thing. I don't know why well, they've you, done if, this. If you're deciding to do it now after listening to this, yeah, you're sorry. too late. So it's crazy. I mean, they must have a massive email list, but then you said in the car. No, I don't think I've received an email. And I check my emails every day, wow. and there's always Kickstarter ones, and I check them. I do not remember seeing this unless for some reason I was in the night shift haze and got rid of it, but I doubt it, which is weird that they've just done this four-day campaign. Have a crack. Well, look, I'm curious to see how many millions of dollars this raises or whether it flops. Mm. I guess over four days it's not going to... I mean, I think they've already... Well, when I looked at it at lunchtime and it had only been going a couple of hours, I think it was four, already... 477,000 Australian, which yep. so US is only your mid-200s okay. or so, which is not... Amazing, yeah. but you know we'll see how we go. Maybe in, they're very limited the amount they well, have. As you said, maybe it's just to clear out old stock. I would assume so. Um, now look, we're almost out of time. I just want to mention quickly: um, we've talked role playing all night, uh, yeah. uh, all night, all day, all episode. <laughs> um, Adventuring with Pride, an LGBT five E supplement, is oh. on there at the moment to bring more diversity to your D and D. I like the sound of that. Um, there's an expansion for Donning the Purple, which is a board game we yes. love that plays exclusively three players. It's good stuff. It's the Votes and Virtues expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, from Pandasaurus Games, you've got Godspeed, a strategy game set in an alternate 1960s space race. It's a mid-weight sci-fi worker placement game, and Madeira Collector's Edition, which is a long out-of-print game by well-known. Portuguese designers Nuno Bizarro Sentiero and Paulo Soledade. So what you're trying to tell me, Mark, is that Kickstarter's going to take all our money yet again. Absolutely. And look, Leon, no yep. surprises. It's time to go. Wow, We've run out of time. This has been an edit of The Dice Men Cometh from Edge Radio 99.3 FM, Hobart's independent youth station. Find us on Facebook and edgeradio.org.au.